Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds have the air, of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, No one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. So we have three questions that we want to ask based on these verses. Question number one. Are you going to choose the comfort or are you going to choose the cross? In our life where we're sitting here, are you going to choose comfort or are we going to choose the cross? Is the congregation here going to choose comfort or are we going to choose the cross? The first man here in verse 57 and I want to make, make note that these are not parables. This was something that actually happened while Jesus was traveling to Jerusalem. So these are not parables. These are actual events that happened. In, in uh, Matthew's account of this first man in verse 57, Matthew uh, describes this guy as being a scribe. Scribes in those days were known uh, to attach themselves to an older gentleman that may be a teacher that travels. And the scribe would learn under these teachers and grow up and hope to create some sort of stature with themselves and make themselves known. Um, kind of like what we see today when younger uh, men uh, go to uh, work and study under a gospel preacher these days. Kind of the same thing. So this man came. And says to Jesus, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Well, look at Jesus' response to this guy who was expecting to make himself known by following Jesus. You know, Jesus says, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. This, in this response that Jesus had, Jesus made it very clear that Christianity is not a path to more comforts, to higher status, or to have a life of greater ease. The road in following Jesus is not paved with self-advancement. It actually starts with self-denial. If we go back to verse 51 of Luke chapter 9, it says there, Now it came to pass, when the time had come for him to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. That's talking about Jesus. So Jesus was heading to Jerusalem to the cross, to die on the cross. Earlier in the chapter, in verse 23, we read that it is to uh, 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 take up our cross. In verse 23, it says, Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So today we uh, have somewhat of a respect for the image of the cross. And we have to understand you know, that, that sometimes we wear it around our, our, our neck or it's put up in our home or we see it on buildings. Uh, but we have to understand the view that the first century Christians saw the cross as being. The cross was a symbol of death. It was used as a, a means of execution. 
So we have to think, you know, uh, if we had, it'd be kind of the, the same example as us putting an electric chair around our neck or putting it up on our mantle or, or seeing something on, on a building that, that represents death. So we have to think that when Jesus said this, to take up your cross, the meaning he had and said to these people meant something extremely significant to those people in those days. So we have to die to ourselves. That is the initial invitation of following Jesus. Everything we talk about here in these next few verses is not really, uh, uh, you know, it's not specifically for mature Christians if we want to call ourselves that. This is basic initial stuff in what we choose to do when we follow Jesus. When we choose the cross over the comforts of this world. Let's look at some passages that call us away from the comfort of this world and dying to ourselves. In Luke 10, verse 3, it says there, let me turn over there. Go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. You know, a lamb doesn't go into the middle of wolves expecting to live. A lamb goes into the middle of wolves expecting to die. And that's what Jesus was doing. Jesus was sending out the 70 uh, men here, telling them, you are going to have a potential of dying for my cause. Further in the chapter of, of 10 in Luke, in verses 25 through 27, it says there, And behold, a certain law lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And directly after this, this leads into the parable of the Good Samaritan. A story about loving the least likely of people to love. Loving the people who sometimes it's hard to love. Also in Luke Chapter 11, verse 42, it says there, But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and, and rue and all manner of herbs and pass by justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. He's basically telling the religious leaders here that they are following the religious practices that, at that time, but they still sit back and settle for injustice around them and do not recognize the love of God that is needed to show the people around them. They were not showing the love of God. Their heart was not in what they were doing religiously. Basically, they were just going through the motions. Also, in Luke 12, verses 15 through 21, it says there, And he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns, and I will build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. So how do we become rich towards God? 
Further down in the chapter, verses 32, says, Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourself money bags which do not grow old, and treasures in the heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So this is extremely clear to us what it means to follow Jesus, to become a Christian, to die to ourselves, be willing to sell our possessions, to give away of our means, to love our neighbor as ourselves, and to die to self. You know, there was some research done uh, recently about some uh, villages, some remote villages in the Himalayan mountains. And what they found there uh, in these remote villages is extreme poverty. They mentioned that half of the children die before their eighth birthday. I have three kids, and I can't imagine to have those kind of odds stacked against us. They were dying of preventable diseases, cuts that led to infections that ended up taking over the entire body. You know, they would drink a little bit of unclean water. You know, they get some sort of disease from drinking unclean water, and it can create an entire outbreak. One village had an outbreak that over the course of two days killed 60 people. It was reported that one mother had 14 children, but only two made it to adulthood. Severe poverty. And on top of that, they mentioned that men from the valley floor would come up to these villages and offer young girls a good paying job in the city trafficking of children. Terrible. Absolutely terrible stuff that was going on. Can we imagine if that was our own daughters? How we would handle that situation? If we were going through this, do you think that we would not have a change on our perspectives in life? So, how can we read that we need to love our neighbor as ourselves when we hear about these things going on? If we are caring for the poor as we care about ourselves, would not the world be changed? If we are not careful, we can create a very comfortable life in our state of Christianity today here, turning a blind eye to what is really happening in some parts of the world. You know, I get it. It's easy to put our head in the sand about these things sometimes. You know, we want to not really recognize that these things happen in the world we don't want to hear about it. It's easy to turn the channel. It's easy to turn the radio station when we don't want to hear about these things. You know, we can sit in our air-conditioned, you know, air-conditioned building today on our padded pews. And when we're done here, we'll get into our comfortable cars, drive to our comfortable homes, sit in our comfortable easy chairs or couches, put our feet up. Fill our bellies with food that is in a refrigerator. Cook on gas stoves. Fire up the barbecue. Sit down at our tables with plates and silverware. And eat our food, which is mostly processed anyway. You know, tomorrow morning we can 
wake up and pretend like we don't hear a message like I'm trying to give today. You know, we can forget about it. It's easy to do. I've done it. We do it all the time. It's our comfortable way of living that we have let ourselves be used to. So we cannot let conform, comfort define our lives. I don't want comfort to define my life. Do not let it be the story of our lives. Let's be encouraged. When we choose to follow Christ, it is a call that we must be willing to give up the comforts of this life, to die to ourselves and to live for others. So, are you going to choose the comfort or are you going to choose the cross? Our second question that we want to look at, are you going to settle for maintenance or are you going to sacrifice for the spread of the gospel? The second man here in Luke chapter 9, in verses 59 and 60, it says, Then he said, then he said to the other, to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. It is unknown whether this man's father was already passed or was going to pass shortly. Um, the scholars kind of go back and forth on that. But this guy wanted to go back and either spend a couple days with you know, final days with his father or give him a, a proper burial, taking care of the things that need to be taken care of when there is a death of a family member. You know, this is something that all, we all would do. This is all something that we expect to do. It's somewhat of an obligation to immediate family members to take care of the affairs of somebody who has passed. You know, fortunately, I still have both of my parents, uh, thankfully, and but I know there's some here who don't. Some may have lost one or both parents, and, and I can say that I fully, fully don't understand the loss of a, of, a, of a parent. But a lot of you do. But think about those feelings we, you had when you lost your parent. Think about all the emotions that you went through and the urgency that you had to take care of the affairs of, him, of whoever it was. You know, you got to get the funeral arrangements. you got to get, you know... Uh, uh, the life insurance worked out. You got to take care of this. You got to take care of that. Whatever it may be, there's a list of things that are need to be taken care of. Now, could you imagine Jesus turning to you and saying, "Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God." How would we react to that? You know, if you're here and you're on the fence about following Jesus, um, I want to kind of explain, you know, uh, what God has done for us. Even if we are a Christian, we need to listen. Sometimes we need to be reminded what this God has done for us. So the good news of the kingdom of God is this. We have a God who reigns all and created all, who loves us. The reason we are here right now is because he has breathed life into us as humans. You know, God could call an end to it all because he is the one who makes that decision. But we have all sinned against God. and We have created a separation between us and God. We have all sinned in different ways. If we die in this state that we are in right now, a state of separation, then we will spend eternity separated from God. We can hear so many different ways of, 
a multitude of religions nowadays of how to get back to God. You know, say a prayer so many times, uh, uh, do these religious, uh, um, um, uh, uh, you know, examples of, of do these steps and you can get back into good graces with God or just believe it in your heart. You know, the good news is that we do not have to do anything to earn our way back to God. We cannot earn our salvation. There's not enough we can do in this world to earn our way back to being in good graces with God. We have a God who is merciful and graceful. But God sent his son to us, to this earth, and he lived a perfect life. And he had no sin. And Jesus chose to die. Not for his sins, because he had no sins. So if he chose to die for sins, whose sins did he die for? For our sins. He chose to die for our sins. He chose to pay the price for us. But not only that, three days after his death, Jesus rose from the dead and had victory over sin. Because of that sacrifice, we here can have the forgiveness of our sins by believing, repenting, confessing, and being baptized into Christ and being reconciled to God. After that, we have an awesome privilege to be able to be forgiven of our sins each time we mess up or slip. You know, we have an opportunity to go to God in prayer and convince, uh, confess our sins to God. And he will forgive us every single time. And once we get through this life, whether by death or by the return of Jesus, we will be with God in eternity in heaven. That is the greatest news in the world. That is the good news of the gospel. The decisions we choose today can have an impact on where we will be in eternity from now. That is a privilege. The king has come to us to save us from our sins, and that is Jesus. So we have to make that news known to the entire community, to this town, and to the world. Jesus told us to go, and we need to do exactly that. It has been said that the men who did that research uh, in the Himalayan mountain villages, that when they asked of some of those villagers if they knew who Jesus was, their response was, who is that? They had no idea. I have no idea who Jesus is. This picture here, and I'm going to do, try to do justice in, in describing this picture for some here. This is a picture of the Himalayan mountains. The beauty that is there is just breathtaking. At the bottom of this valley floor, it's green. You can see a couple of hikers down here on the bottom. And midway up, it starts to brown a little bit where there's no growth of vegetation. And then above that, you have the snow-capped mountains with just such a vertical face on these mountains and the blue sky above. Now, these guys here in this valley are said to be at 12,000 feet elevation. Could you imagine being there and looking up another 15-plus thousand feet to the peaks of these mountains? That is an awesome, awesome thought. The beauty, the majesty, the majesticness of these mountains are just so beautiful. In Romans 1, in verse 20, it says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, 
being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Also in Isaiah 6 and verse 3 it says, And one cried out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. You know, we can read in these verses and we can look at these mountains and we can see that there's places on this earth that the, that the glory of God is shown in his creation. People can look at these mountains and say there has to be a creator. There has to be somebody who has created these things. It, you know, there is a God. That, that's what Romans tells us. Romans tells us there's no excuse for someone to recognize that there is a God. Now, think about this. So if there's people in the Himalayan mountains that, or anywhere in the world who have not heard the name of Jesus, but yet the Bible tells us that they can recognize that there's a God, why, why do they not recognize that? Why do they not recognize this? You know, these mountains have been, been proclaiming God's glory for thousands of years. Well, the privilege comes to us. You know, the, the mountains do not teach about Jesus. The mountains teach about God, the Creator. So it comes on us. It's our responsibility as Christians to spread the gospel about Jesus, to teach those about Jesus. That's not the mountain's job. It's not the landscape's job. That's privilege is ours. What an awesome, awesome responsibility and a great privilege. We get to do something that the mountains cannot do, and we get to proclaim Jesus. So it is estimated that there are 2 billion people, 2 billion, that have little to no knowledge of God or Jesus in this world right now. 2 billion. That is a huge number. That's about, if my mind serves me correct, that's about a quarter, I think there's almost 7 a little over 7 billion people on this earth right now. So how come 2,000 laters with all the technology we have, the speed in which information is shared, how come we, there's still 2 billion people that have not heard about God or Jesus? I think there's two reasons. Of course, in these places, there's resistance to the gospel. There are uh, uh, leaders of villages that absolutely reject anybody wanting to bring in uh, the gospel of Christianity. There's governments that are against these places that won't, don't want, let you bring in Christianity because they have their own uh, uh, gods that they serve, that they, they don't want anything else in there. But I think the other reason is, is we have settled for our own maintenance. You know, we have created a picture of Christianity we, where we are content with the state that we are in. Coming to three times, worship three times a week, singing his praises, communing, and all those things that we do without giving second thought to those who may be in need of hearing the gospel. This congregation here has supported foreign works for many, many years in many ways, financially, and we also sent Frank to the Philippines every single year, and that's great. But why do we think it's only one man's job? Why do we sit here sometimes and think that one guy can spread the gospel throughout the world? That you know, Do we get comfortable just, just giving, our, uh, uh, giving of our means just once a week? We think that, does, do we think that justifies us? 
you know, there's so much untapped potential in this congregation here that, that not only to send people to the Philippines, but more importantly, to get the gospel out in this community, in this town. But not, that's not going to happen if we settle for our own maintenance. So we have to get out of our comfort zone. So this is, this might, you know, as I was putting this together, it's a very convicting sermon. Very convicting. Makes you self-reflect pretty hard on yourself. And, and it, it, we might think it's too much for us to do or too uncomfortable for you and I to do. But this is basic discipleship that Jesus called us to. Basic stuff. Like in verse, uh, 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 chapter 14, verse 33, he says, So likewise, whoever you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. So if we're not willing to give up everything we have, Jesus says we can't be his disciple. That's scary stuff to think about. In 1958, my grandfather, along with my grandmother and four children, left the comforts of the United States to travel overseas to Africa to help with the start of the work there in establishing congregations and uh, uh, spreading of the gospel there along with a few other preachers my grandfather decided to give up all the comforts of this life here in, in, in America to go live in a hut basically with a dirt floor with four kids and it just, I couldn't imagine the uh, conversation maybe that went on with him and my grandmother on deciding to go back to Africa to do this and in 1959, uh, he was in a very terrible accident. He was, uh, on a Saturday night, he was preparing for the next day, for the Lord's Day, to, to go to worship. Uh, he was filling up, fueling up to the vehicle for the next day. And, and honestly, husbands and men, I think that is a great example for us that we can, how we need to prepare our families for worship on Sundays. You know, we need to prepare the day or the night before and able to make it to wherever we need to be to be able to worship. You know, whether we'll be traveling or whatever, we need to make preparation to be in a certain place so we can worship with fellow Christians. Make those preparations. Filling up the car the night before. You know, whatever we do Sunday morning, making sure that we have plenty of time to be at services on time when they start. But when he was preparing or filling up the fuel, uh, he would take a lantern. This is an actual picture of, of uh, uh, an, outhouse, an outbuilding that they had on their property. And this 55-gallon this drum here, about three or four feet high, was full of the fuel. And there was a valve on this drum. And as he was going out in the evening, he took that lantern and he hung it on that shed out there, which was, looks like maybe, I don't know, 15 to 20 feet away. And as he was fueling up the vehicle, you know, being out in the open air, he didn't realize that the fumes could go all the way to that lantern. And they did, and they caught fire. And those fumes came all the way over to the car and to that barrel. And that valve ended up sticking open on that barrel. And he got burned. He caught fire is what he says. He tells you he caught fire. I can't remember how much percentage of his body was burned, but... Um, he was in the hospital for nine and a half weeks. And the nurse told him the night they brought him in that they didn't think he was going to live. And because they think, didn't think he was going to live, they didn't give him any treatment. 
for that entire night. Burned as he was, they gave him zero treatment. This is, the, this is the picture of him holding the shirt that he was wearing during that time. Uh, I mean, it's barely hanging on there together. And the nurse told him, after it was all said and done, that he was a miracle. That's what the nurse told him. In other words, God had a hand in him not dying that night. You know, he gave all. He gave everything he could. And he almost lost his life for moving overseas to Africa to spread the gospel. So do not fool ourselves into thinking that the mission of spreading the gospel does not come without a cost. Not only that, but living a life of following Christ does not come without a cost as well. So are we going to settle for maintenance or are we going to sacrifice for the spread of the gospel? Our third question Will your life be marked by an indecisive mind or an undivided heart? Back in Luke chapter 9, the last man that Jesus runs up on in verse 61, and another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. This last guy wanted to follow Jesus, but first he wanted to go back home and say goodbye to his family. You know, Jesus was telling him, and he's telling us as well, that if we're going to follow him, we are to fix our eyes upon him and not look back. You know, these are tough, tough things that Jesus is telling us to do. I mean, he is, he is really getting to the core of our heart. Are we going to follow him? Are we going to give everything we have, be, be willing to give everything away, turn our back on, on all that we've ever known to follow him? So an indecisive mind. You know, I think of this as uh, all of us have a tendency to think this way. You know, we can hear this message and we can uh, uh, think to ourselves, man, I really need to do something. You know, I need to do something for Jesus. I need to do something for the congregation. I need to do something for the church. You know, and then, and then a few days go by. Man, yeah, I still need to, I really need to do something. A week goes by, a month goes by, and we're still thinking, man, what in the world can I do to help the congregation or to help the church? Then a year goes by. By the time the years have all gone by, we have done nothing. This is not the type of life that Jesus called us to live. He wants us to live with an undivided heart. Look at the language in Luke chapter 14 and verse 25. It says there, Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. What in the world is that all about? What? Why would he tell us to, if we don't hate our family, that we can't be a disciple? Now, we know we can read other places in Scripture where you're taught to love our wives, love our children, honor our father and mother. You know, that's not what Jesus was talking about here. Jesus was saying that when we choose to fix our eyes and give our entire heart to Jesus and love him, 
all other close relationships look like hate in comparison to what our relationship should be to him. So, do we love him with everything we got? So the key question really is, where is our heart? Where is your heart? Is Jesus enough for us? Do we treasure Jesus? You know, in Matthew 13, verse 44, the parable of the hidden treasure says there again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. You know, this, this, uh, this guy found something in this field that he thought was more valuable than everything that he had. This is the parable. It's a two-verse parable. Very short. You know, that is... And, and it says that he joyfully sold all that he had to buy that field. You know, that is a picture of him loving Jesus with all he's got, being, being you know, for the furtherance of the kingdom of God. Um, that, 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 is, that is a picture of the church and Jesus. You know, he is the one who can save us. He's the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, our comforter, our redeemer, our savior, the bread of life, the good shepherd, our great high priest, the King of King, kings, and the Lord of lords. He is all these things. So the real question is, does your heart belong to him? Does your heart belong to Jesus? Because when it does, these questions that we've asked sort of seem inviting, don't they? I think they're inviting when, when, if we can really say that our heart belongs to Jesus. You know, when we choose the cross over the comforts of this life, the life we have in Christ is far better than all the comforts of this world. Yes, when we, when we, when we, should, we should sacrifice for the work of the church and spread the gospel. We don't want to waste our life. We don't want to make a few short years here count for eternity for nothing. You know, we will either spend eternity lost or saved. And that's just determined on the decisions we make today. We don't want to get to the judgment day and stand before Jesus and have Jesus ask, to ask us, you know, all those good intentions that you had, all those things that you wanted to do to spread the gospel, have you done them? You know, I don't, I don't want to stand there and, and, and respond to that. Well, I thought about doing them. Well, thinking about doing them and doing them are two different things. I think all of us here can say that... Um, that we trust Jesus to save us for eternity. And if that is the case, then why can't we trust him to lead us here in this life for just a little while? You know, when we truly understand who Jesus is and what he does for us, it is not dangerous to surrender to him. On, on the opposite, it is dangerous to not surrender to him. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us 
We would love for you to be our honored guest.